Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the XR Podcast. This week, it's just me, and I'm doing a companion piece to an upcoming book club episode where Nestor and I will talk about West Virginia University's 2022 campus read, Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. In preparation for that episode, which will come out within the next two weeks, I sat down with my grandmother and grandfather, the latter of which is an immigrant from the Philippines and worked as a surgeon in the Ohio Valley for over half a century. There are a few interruptions throughout the interview, but bear with me because I think his story is one well worth a listen. Thank you and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the X Hour podcast. And today it's just me. I'm sitting down with my grandmother and grandfather, Miss Martha T.U. and Dr. Wilfredo T.U. How are you? Very good. Very good. All right. So this school project that I'm trying to do is about like immigration, how your experiences kind of shaped you moving to America. So why don't we start off a little bit about um, your childhood? Childhood? Yes. Well, my childhood... um... We were living in Cebu, C-E-B-U, in the Philippines. And my mom and dad came from China and went to the Philippines in Cebu. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom and dad started started a bakery. And we go to school and our school. What was it called? The bakery. What's that? Give him the name. El, El Popular, E-L, Popular mm-hmm. Panaderia. That's his Spanish name. Oh, okay. Bakery. Panaderia means bakery. Yeah. And uh, where was I now? <clears throat> and uh, of uh, we were born in the Philippines. And I have two brothers and two sisters. And I'm the youngest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so is there anything else or? Um, so how, how were you raised? Like what sort of expectations were they strict? Oh, we go to English school yeah. instead of uh, uh, Spanish because years ago, the Spain came to the, to the Philippines. But World War II, uh, the Americans came. Mm-hmm. And our and and they defeated the Japanese. Yeah, and uh, our school were all in English. Mm-hmm. So I work in the bakery on weekends, and then we have the old one car during all this time. It's a uh, a military. Uh, Jeep. What's that? Jeep. Yeah, we have a Jeep. Yeah. It's a military Jeep. And a driver. And I bought one. And uh, my mom and dad bought one. And with that car, it lasted for many years. Uh, and there was a- we go to school. Mm-hmm. There's no school bus. No school bus. The, no school bus. 
So the parents have to take their kids to school. Mm -hmm. And my dad and mom uh, have somebody, because we have a bakery and we have people that drive. Mm -hmm. And they take us uh, to school. And when school is over about three or four o'clock, then they pick us up. They, not, there's no school bus. So the, my mom and dad and, and the, the driver uh, picked me up and brought me back home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that his mother or his father, I don't remember which, mm -hmm. but they were very impressed by the Catholic priest that taught in the, I mean, that taught in the school. It's the American, American priest. Yeah, there was an American priest missionary and he taught in the school. And so even though your parents were not any particular religion, but your mother would take, go once a year to the Buddhist temple and put in little sticks of, um, uh, back home, what was what kind of Chinese religion that we have back home? I'm not I forgot Buddhism? the name. Buddhism, Buddhism, maybe. But go to the temple, mm -hmm. and then they have candles, and you have to sit there and say your prayers, your own prayers. There's no organized prayer. You just say what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I don't think I was uh, a Christian yet, was I? No, your mother, your your mother and your father admired the Catholic priest that oh, yeah. was teaching in the school, and for some you reason, your father became friends with him or friendly with him, and so that's what influenced them to send you to Catholic school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you did not have when you went to school. The school was poor. And you did not have a, um, a, no, you did not have a desk, so you had to carry your own little chair. Yeah. We used to, when we go to school, we used to carry our own chair to school. Wow. <laughs> and uh, they, they, didn't, they, 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 they didn't provide chairs, so mm -hmm. we have to take our own chairs. That's so, could you see how, yeah. how different than here? Wow. So we have to bring our own chair to school. And when the school is over, we bring this chair back home. <laughs> wow. So, Papa, I understand that during your childhood, the uh, Japanese soldiers came over to the Philippines during World War II. Could you explain a little bit about how that impacted you and your family at that time? Uh, can you tell them about how... Very example, sad. Example of I was about eight years old. Okay, well, uh, we ran up to the mountains because the Japan the Jap the Japanese were coming, mm -hmm. and there was World War Two, and the Americans beat the Japanese. Yeah, the Filipinos doesn't have any military soldier. They were mostly poor civilians mm -hmm. you know so after the war we were coming up from the hills coming down and the american soldiers were going up yeah and i was about eight years old 
And then when the Americans go up, they gave us chocolate candy. Chocolate. Is that the first time chocolate. you had chocolate? I was about seven years old, seven, eight years old. Yeah. And they gave us, so I could never forget. First time I ate chocolate candy. Uh-huh. Never had it before. So uh, back home is either you are poor or you're average or a few people are rich, but very few people are rich, you know. Mm-hmm. But we're in the middle. We have yeah. enough food to eat, but nothing, no luxury, and uh, very few Chinese restaurants. And um, we usually can't afford to go to a Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I remember that. Well, yeah. You said that when you got to the, when you finally got to the top of the mountain where you were staying. For oh, the duration. When we stay up in the mountain, there were some residents there, they're Chinese. Mm-hmm. And when they found out that we have no place to stay, they invited us to stay in their home. Wow. And until my dad could buy a house near the neighborhood, then my dad was able to have some money from the bakery mm-hmm. and he bring it with him. So we bought a small house and uh, until the World War II end. Mm-hmm. And then we, we, we come back done. And then when we reached our house, it was burned. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the lady that lived there, they say, you go and I'll take care of the house. She died in that house. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, there are four, seven or eight houses that are burned. So when we went to our house, they were all black charcoal mm-hmm. on the street. When we went to our house, I remember looking at the house. It was gone black and my tears just, I was crying. Mm-hmm. I was crying and crying. All, all our, uh, my brothers and sisters, they were all young and they were all crying, you know. Mm-hmm. And my parents too were, you got tears coming in their eyes. Mm-hmm. And then it's a good thing that my dad had some money. It's called pesos instead of dollar. P E S O S. He has some pesos, and uh, he bought a small house, and then he built the bakery again to uh, start a, a new bakery. And that's we go to a great school, high school. When we come home, I have to study after studying. I have to, uh, I have to work in the bakery. Yeah. Yeah. On weekends, there's no such thing as baseball or basketball. Mm-hmm. There might be, but we have to work in the, uh, in the, you know, in the bakery. Yeah. Try to help out. We try to sell bakery, um, and people come buy them, take them to their store and they sell it to the people. Mm-hmm. So we usually sell big amounts and they'll take it home. My uh, mom and dad will give extra bread to, to the dealers, mm-hmm. you know, and the same thing, the dealers are not rich, you know, they're, they're poor people too. So if we get them extra day, yeah, they sell it and they get a little bit more money. So mm-hmm. if we have a chance, we usually give them more bread than they want. And then they go there and they sell it. Mm-hmm. So my parents, 
were very generous in helping the poor people. Yeah. But the Chinese people work hard and we always have food. We know we never go hungry mm -hmm. back home and we always have food to eat. So we're lucky compared to other Filipino people in Cebu, you know? Yeah. So I, you know, I've ne ne never been hungry for any food or or bread or something. We always have something to eat. Mm -hmm. But um, the Chinese and the Filipinos are about uh, they're not tall and they're not. We don't have we don't see heavy people in the Philippines. Yeah, it's either regular or you are thin because you are not eating enough. Mm -hmm. But we don't have so 300 pounds. Yeah. Men, women, 250 pounds. And we're about 100, 100 pounds, 120 pounds. Mm -hmm. Adult, about 120, 130, 40. That's it. Mm -hmm. So that's the Philippines. Yeah. <laughs> now, where are you going, Bob? I'm, I'm cold. I'm getting out. Okay. Could you see how my life was compared yeah. to your life in America? <laughs> so I came from a poor country. Very different. There was war and there was sadness. There were no, sometimes I go hungry, but we don't have any food to eat. Mm -hmm. But at least we're able to have some food to eat. Some Filipinos are so poor that they don't have any food and nobody could give them any food the government doesn't have any money mm -hmm. to give to the people and some of them children die yeah and uh but uh things back home are much different than mm -hmm. <laughs> over here so papa could you tell me a little bit about your education process in the philippines and how that um, helped you transition to living in America and what that transition was like? I finished high school uh, pre-med or pre-medicine. Mm -hmm. And then I finished four, four years of medicine in the capital city in Manila, M-A-N-I-L-A. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, let me see, where was I now? You just finished med school? Uh, we finished med school and spent four years of residency, mm -hmm. internship and residency, just four or five years. Then after I graduated, I got a call from a Catholic sister in Pittsburgh. They really need doctors in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So my parents were able to get enough money to buy me a plane ticket. Mm -hmm. So the plane take off, went to Jap Japan, from the Jap Japan Pacific Ocean, and we go to California. Mm -hmm. Then from there, take a plane, two stop, uh, to come to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Alaska. And then when I got to Pittsburgh. You forgot about Alaska. What? You went from the. West Coast to Alaska. Yeah, to Alaska. Then from Alaska to California. I don't remember exactly what Pittsburgh. happened, but I came mm -hmm. to America. 
And then from there, we fly two times. The plane goes down, another plane take us to a second airport. Yeah. A second, the second airport take us up and then bring us to Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. But and, you, you did not have a cook. What, ma'am? That was the first time you saw snow. Oh, <clears throat> I was at Mercy Hospital. No, no. And the summer was mild. I said, in the Philippines, it's so hot. Uh huh. And the first time it snow, I never saw snow in the Philippines. The snow was snow in the Philippines. Yeah. And I would look out the window and I see white thing coming down. And I said, what's that? <laughs> and they said, that's snow. I said, oh, excuse me. <laughs> and then when I saw snow for about, about an hour, I just sit in the window and keep looking at it. Uh-huh. Because we never, we never saw snow coming from the sky. So it was... To me, it was it was something different, special, yeah. and I just and there's a window, uh, you know, and and I just keep looking at it keep, for about an hour. I just sat there mm -hmm. and watched the snow coming down. But you said you did not have what's that? You did not have a winter coat. You didn't realize that it was oh. cold when he was in. Yeah, Alaska. when we came to Alaska. back home, we just just like summer here. Mm -hmm. We wear things, but. When I get to California, it was cold. Yeah, no and I have the—I don't have a coat, so I have to walk fast to the plane, and the plane take off. Mm -hmm. I we stop somewhere from the plane to the, you know, to to, to stay for about an hour, uh, and then we come and then that we fly and then came to Pittsburgh. But you, yeah, when you when you were in Alaska, when you got out of the plane to get to the other plane, you said that it was so cold. And you had no coat. Yeah, we're back home. It's only there's no there's no winter, there's no summer or spring, and I don't have a coat. I just have like a clothing. Shirt. So I was cold, but yeah. I just run from the plane to the <laughs> what their airport, you know, like in there. Yeah. So, but I, I there was but most of the Filipinos. They're the same thing I did. They don't have any thick clothing because mm -hmm. we don't have winter. So it was very cold. And if, since I have never experienced coldness, I was I was shivering. It was really cold. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of really <laughs> kind of walk like this, you know, to the from the airport to the to, to the stores. We just walk and run in. Yeah. Know? Yeah. But that, that's that's an experience. And so. Then I read you had a uh, toothache on the plane. Yes. Do you remember? Okay. And then I went to... Uh, Wait a moment. Who did I go to? Man? Remember your brother, who was older, was married to a young, a young woman who was a dentist. And so you had a toothache before you were going to come to America and she tried to pull your tooth out, but she only got half of the tooth. So you came on the last part of your trip. You had a terrible toothache. Toothache, my, 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 it was all swollen. Yeah. So when I came to Pittsburgh and the, the Catholic sister, that's a Catholic, uh, you know, Mercy hospital. hospital. Mm -hmm. And I said, <coughs> 
could you refer me to a dentist because I have a bad, mm -hmm. uh, you know, bad toothache. So she did, and she pulled it out. It's pulled it out, wow. Oh, and well, of course they inject, inject, you know. Yeah. And they pull it out and I feel better. Mm -hmm. And I go back and told sister, I said, sister, thank you. I feel much better now. And she smiled and, you know, she said, go take one or two days off. Yeah. Rest before coming back to the hospital to work. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Back home, we buy fresh fish, yeah. not, not, not cooked because there's no, uh, you, you buy them and you take it home mm -hmm. and fry it, but there's no store that have already fried fish for you yeah. to buy. So we buy regular, not no dead fish, but the fresh, mm -hmm. we bring it home. The whole fish. The whole fish. And then my, uh, we have, and they slice the, uh, but we pay very small amount. We don't pay, they don't have, we don't have enough money. So they did, it's not like the salary here. Yeah. But anyway, when we pick home, my uh, mom or dad would uh, mostly mom, because most of our cooking is mom. Dad doesn't cook, mm -hmm. only mom cooks. And they, uh, when it's cooked, they slice it. And then I don't know what they do with the bones in the head. Yeah. But uh, when we eat, we eat fried fish that my mom and dad cook. But mostly my mom does the cooking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you said when you came to Mercy Hospital and they, you went through the line of cafeteria as when you were, when you were an intern at Mercy Hospital, you went through the cafeteria line and they and the order said fish and what they gave you was an oblong piece of fresh not well fish but it was bread and cook, cook fish fish and you said that's not and i fish. said what's that <laughs> <laughs> she said she looked at me she said it's fried fish, fish? Oh, I said, excuse me <laughs> You know, when we come to from a poor country, anything here that's that's that we don't have back home, mm -hmm. I have to ask them what it is. You know? Yeah. So it's embarrassing, but I got to learn. Yeah. Step by step. Going so, up. Papa, you were an ear, nose, and throat <laughs> surgeon for about fifty-one years. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about um, your schooling, how you got there? Uh, and your first experiences from the hospitals you worked at? When I went to the main capital city of the Philippines, mm -hmm. it's called uh, Manila, M-A-N-I-L-A. -A. And there was a Catholic school. And uh, by then I was a Catholic, right? Yeah. Then I went to a medical school uh for four years mm -hmm. university and one year university of santa and Cruz. one year internship we have to go to the hospital mm -hmm. and do see patients talk to patients go to the operating room and help the surgeon yeah uh that's we have to do five years of internship in the hospital mm -hmm. in order to graduate from medical school yeah <laughs> All right, so Bubba, 
Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you and Papa met and like the maybe the first date that you guys went All on? All right. Well, he was a resident in ear, nose, and throat. And um, at uh, Mercy? At Mercy Hospital in his, Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And somehow, um, his uh, came from Wheeling to, to learn something. He, he, Mercy Hospital. He was either going to be relegated to working at the bakery for the rest of his life, <laughs> and he was engaged to a Chinese lady. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, her name was Connie. And she had gone to um, she, she had gone to medical school with him, mm -hmm. and she was intending to marry him. That was part. She was Chinese, and he was Chinese, so that was going to be an arranged type marriage. And so he came to. Um, she was in. She was somewhere in Pennsylvania, in as a resident or an intern, and so. She was telling him to come to Pennsylvania. So that was the way he got to Pittsburgh. And um, he was told that they, that they needed ear, nose, and throat doctors. Mm -hmm. And so that was why he chose ear, nose, and throat, or commonly named ENT. Mm -hmm. So he uh, came to Pittsburgh, and then when... Um, I worked as a nurse in pediatrics at Mercy Hospital, and he would come up to Mercy Hospital since most Mercy of them, Hospital. So mm -hmm. most of them, most uh, many of the children, were there with having had their tonsils out. Yeah, and so he would be coming up to visit, the making rounds as the story goes, and checking on the patients that had the young patients who had had their. Um, tonsils out so he saw me as a nurse and I had graduated from um, Mount Mercy College which was in Oakland is in Oakland uh, Pittsburgh o the uh, Oakland Oakland is a section in Pittsburgh and so he um, he decided that he thought I was very charming mm -hmm. and very, quote, pretty. Okay, so he decided that he would like to ask me out on a date. But you don't, in the Philippines, you don't go out on a date just asking someone and go out alone with them. You have to have a chaperone. Mm -hmm. So in order to ask me out on a date, he invited four or five other people to go along too. Wow. So and he paid for everybody. And that was a, pretty much of a big expense on his part because <laughs> we went to a Chinese restaurant in downtown Pittsburgh and he paid for everybody because that was the only, in according to customs in the Philippines, that was the only way he could ask me out if there were chaperones there. <laughs> and he said when he was little, when he was younger, that when his sisters would go out on quote unquote dates, 
he would be the chaperone, even though he was their little brother. <laughs> he would go along with them and, you know, take supervise advantage, them, supervise and take advantage of everything that, <laughs> that they they had to give. So that's how it started. So, Bob, you were a nurse at the time. Uh, at Mercy Hospital. So are there any notable stories that you might have from that time? It was the time where um, patients came in with either for tonsillectomies mm -hmm. or other, you know, surgical type or medical type um, ailments. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so one day, one night when, um, down in the emergency room, your your grandfather was a resident and he was going through the area of the emergency room mm -hmm. and there was a nurse there who was always on, always there, usually always there at the, uh, three to 11. Mm-hmm. And she, someone came in, it was called that, I mean, now it was called like the Hill District over there. That's Mercy Hospital. Yeah. It used to be in what they called the Hill District, which was um, kind of a play, an area that was um, um, questionable. Yeah. As far as population was concerned. So one day, one night, he was walking through the hall next mm -hmm. to the emergency room, and there was mm -hmm. the nurse who was usually there was there, and here someone who was drunk came in, and they were trying to treat him mm -hmm. for whatever ailment it was, and he took a bottle of um a glass bottle that happened to be by, nearby mm -hmm. and he broke it and it shattered all over the floor and he it and he took the neck of the bottle and he was holding it up as if he was going to uh, you know stab, stab the nurse mm. and so your grandfather was walking by there and he saw the look on the nurse's face and so he quietly went in and he, um, oh, what's the word? I mean, he contained this man by pulling his arms behind him and holding his arms locked behind him until the nurse could call the police. Mm. And then bring because, and so he practically wrestled him to the floor. Wow. The man was drunk. Mm -hmm. And, uh, do you remember that, Dad? You telling me? He's over there with the thermostat <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, so. anyway, he saved her life. Uh huh. Because this drunken man was ready to plunge a knife in, to plunge his broken bottle. It all happened so fast. Yeah. So that was one episode <laughs> that you may not have. He may not, he may have forgotten to tell you, but that was, so he was, did his little bit of heroics. Right there. <laughs> now I would, uh, I'm sure the audience would really enjoy uh, your little, I don't, I'm not sure what I would call it, your little scheme that you set into play, your plot that you set into play 
when um, you didn't have housing in Pittsburgh. Oh, yes. That was really a little... Um, that Clever was, maneuver. Yes. Well, when, when your grandfather was a um, senior resident... Or junior, I mean, right before it was a five-year program. So when he was going into his fifth year, the resident who was already finishing his fifth year lived in an apartment in what is called the Brentwood area, and, and they were very nice. Uh, what we would call duplexes mm -hmm. now, and they were brick, and they had a little garage underneath them. And it was really close to our friends, John and Clea Garger, that I lived with when I was in nursing school, okay, at, mm -hmm. at Mercy Hospital. And so he, this resident who was in the 50th year ready to leave, he, he went over to your grand, grandfather and said, I understand you're getting married, Willie pretty soon and um and uh he said we we've lived the older residents said we've lived in these really nice apartments or town um duplex houses mm -hmm. and he said they were very close to what is called route 51 which would take him directly to the hospital uh and uh he said you might want to go over there and we will be vacating the apartment that we're the uh, town, the duplex that we we are living in, because he was from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and he said my wife and I are moving back to our you know our original area that we came from, and he said and so we will be vacating our apartment our um, duplex, mm -hmm. and so anyway. I went over, and at that time, I was living in what is called the East Liberty section with my friends, Pat and Harry Brown, and um, very Irish. Very looking, Irish names, yeah. Very fair-skinned, and so was I. I was very fair-skinned mm -hmm. and blonde. And so we went, um, we went over there. I went over there, and um, I said that I would like to... Uh, put a deposit on Dr. So-and-so's uh, duplex because I understand it's going to be available mm -hmm. for rent. And I think the rent at that time was $125 for per month. Yeah. So, and it was a nice place. And, um, and so I went over there and the man that was in, I, I, I went over there and got directions uh, John actually took me over to the rental establishment there because it was a very popular place. There were a lot of uh, um, football players that would, you know, for short-term renting, they would rent places there, et cetera, et cetera. But we would be there for, like, after marriage, we would be there for four or five years before your grandfather's residency time. So anyway, I went We're almost to, done. Yep. I went to, almost. I went to the um, rental um, office and I gave them the information and I put down a twenty-five dollar deposit, and then get down. Then, shh, 
And then when I uh, uh, I put the deposit down, and then when I put down the information and I wrote down the last name to be would be T I U, the last name. And so <coughs> he got very anyway what? about um, a day after doing that. Mm -hmm. The man called me up from the rental department and he said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, I did not realize that that place, that that. No, no, this is up. The dog is. You're fine. He's biting your, your blanket. She's biting Tippy. your blanket. No, she's not. There's a hole in it already. Don't let her, her tear in, man. Let me get to the rest of the story. Okay, so when the man found out that my last name to be was T-I-U, mm -hmm. and that was obviously was Chinese, was he done, called me up and said, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I did not know, but that apartment has already been rented. Mm -hmm. So I had my friends, Pat and Harry Brown, Patricia and Harry Brown, very Irish looking, my husband and wife. And so I told them this little scheme was that um, I felt that I was, that we should not be denied that apartment, that town, little townhouse. And, um, and that there was something that was wrong and that it was discriminatory. So I had my friends, Dippy. Pat and Harry. Pat and Harry Brown, uh, I told them exactly the number of the house mm -hmm. and the street because it was a big community of little little duplexes there. Mm -hmm. And so I said to them, I want you to go over and I'll just give a number. Like, I want you to go over and tell them that you're looking for a place to rent. They're almost done. And that it would be like number 92 and such and such a street, Kaplan Avenue. And so my friends went over and they, being totally Caucasian, they um, went to the office and they said, oh, they said, um, and, I, and I did it, tell my friends, make sure that you get, <coughs> excuse me, that, that you put a deposit down of $25 and make sure that you have the address on there as to what house it is going to be. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. And also that you have down there that um, when you intend to go in, which would have been the 1st of July, because that's when residency started at Mercy Hospital. So they went ahead and put that money down they got a receipt for that place mm -hmm. at number, let's say, 91 Kaplan Avenue. So I, from that bit of information, I had all of the, I had all of the uh, evidence in my hand. Mm -hmm. So I called up the um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is the capital of um, of uh, Pennsylvania. <coughs> And I talked to the gentleman <clears throat> who was in charge of 
against anti against discrimination laws mm -hmm. or practices. I shouldn't say laws against discrimination practices in the state of Pennsylvania. So there we were, armed with the uh, the. Um, is raining. Armed with the uh, receipts, receipts, documents, documentation, the number of the house, and a, a receipt for the check that this gentleman, Harry Brown, had given them mm -hmm. as a deposit for that particular little townhouse. Yeah. And so I called up the, uh, the department in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I told them the situation. And from there on in, they had to have a, a framed document inside their uh, uh, rental office that they were following the uh, non-discriminatory practice that was in that was in place in the state of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. At first, your grandfather said, "Oh, we'll go and find some place else. If they don't want us here, we won't go. We won't be there." And I said, "No, it's not proper. It's not right. It's not the way things should be. So we're not going to. We're gonna. We're gonna get into this, this house. Believe me, we are. Mm -hmm. So anyway." We went through the process, had all of the documentation, and the man from Harrisburg said to me, I can't believe, lady, that you did all of this. He said, let me tell you this. If you would ever like to have a job with us, I'd be <laughs> glad to hire you. And I said, thanks very much. I don't think I'll be getting, well, looking for another job, but just uh, so that other people won't be facing the same problems that we did. Wow. So that's what happened. They had to have this framed document in the rental office that said that they had to follow, you know, that this establishment follows the um, anti-discriminatory uh, laws in the state of Pennsylvania. Wow. So that was the... All right. And to wrap this up, I wanted to ask one more question. Uh, Bob, you can answer this one first, and that would be, what would you say uh, throughout your life that you are most thankful for? I would say that the thing that um, I most treasure are um, the fact that we have had wonderful sons, daughters, uh, and that uh, they in turn have had wonderful children. So I would say that my family, um, including my husband of how many years, uh, is probably the thing that gives me the greatest joy and satisfaction, and also our church. Mm-hmm fact that we're part of a, of a good community. All right, Papa, last question, then I'll let you go. All right. So what would you say is the thing that you are most thankful for in your life, your travels, your journey? Uh, it's freedom. Freedom? Uh, people got a lot of 
a lot of things and they don't get, you know, they don't get arrested. Back home, you're either good or you're bad, but there's this, you know, the people are not, here we got the middle class, mm -hmm. about 80% of America is about middle class. But back home, uh, you're either a regular person or you're poor, a lot mm -hmm. of poor people back home. So here we got, I would say, the way I look at it right now, I'm rich. Mm -hmm. compared to what when I was born and raised. Well, thank you guys so much for sitting down with me tonight. I really appreciate it. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for sitting down with us and hearing this great story. Just a reminder, this was a companion piece to give some background to WVU's 2022-2023 campus read, which is Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. It's a very unique read which follows a man named Willis Wu as he tries to navigate society and land a role on a procedural cop show as Kung Fu Guy. It's structured like a screenplay, uses many screenplay and like caught drama tropes. It's funny, it's clever, and it's incredibly moving. The book is called Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, and Nessa and I are going to get our book club episode up soon. So there's still time to read it and follow along if you're interested. And again, thank you so much for listening to the X-Hour podcast. This was the first episode of our summer series. And even though I move into WVU in 10 days, we got a lot planned for you guys. So stay tuned. God bless.